Welcome to the Mid-Market CFO Circle. I'm Madhurima Gupta, your host. And today I have with me a very special guest who's going to share his experiences with us about how growing companies and even companies with declining growth can automate CFO's office. Now, before we get into introductions, I'd like to set context. Now, for all businesses, growth is one of the core objectives. Bigger profits, higher sales, wider geographical coverage helps businesses achieve growth and generate more income for its shareholders and employees. However, there are few businesses whose growth doesn't always go as expected and in some cases may even halt completely. Today, we are going to discuss how businesses with stagnated growth trends or declining growth trends can manage their CFO's office with automation. And in order to talk about this, I have with me Frank Mastronuzzi. Hi, Frank. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, thank you so much for taking time and having this conversation with me. I am I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Great. Perfect. So, Frank, uh, you know, um, I'd like to introduce you to our listeners as well. So I have a small introduction that I'd like to get started with. Um, and, you know, at the end of it, we can also talk about how your growth has been in your career and a little more. Frank is uh, one of the most trusted uh, CFO consulting and bookkeeping partners for startups and high growth companies. He's currently the chief financial officer and managing partner at Punch Financial. He's also the acting CFO at Sanas. Uh, Frank has helped fast-growing companies scale their companies from inception to growth stages. Beyond the strategic role as a strategic CFO, he's also revenue-focused and hands-on financial advisor. So Frank, what, in your opinion, or how have your experiences made you into the person that you are today that has helped you become a financial, a trusted financial advisor? Good, good question. All the experiences that I had, you know, as a traditional accountant, you know, working for Deloitte and CPA um, in both um, New York and Chicago offices, then internal audit at Motorola, then got my MBA and did my first startup, um, got lucky, right? Happened to be a company called Match.com that people know. And so that's where I got addicted to the startup space. Um, but all those all those experiences, both internal, external audit, um, working with a startup in in a in a finance capacity, um, selling mutual uh, numerous uh, completing numerous M and A transactions, um, gives you the full experience of of taking a company from inception to exit. Um, and the more you have that full experience, the 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 better it is to advise and help other folks to do it. So I think my all my building blocks of my career have led me to the ability to help uh, high growth companies accomplish their goal, right? And so I think having done it internally, externally, and and also having done it myself from you know beginning to end, it makes it a very um, uh, makes me a very seasoned, experienced CFO to help um, our our clients navigate the same process. And, um, you know, in your experience or, you know, what you might have seen from your peers, what causes a business's growth to stall and what role can a CFO play to help in such scenarios? Great, great question. I uh, always liken growth to spinning. If you've ever seen those guys spinning the plates, right? You have to keep, you spin the first plate, you spin the second, but then you have to go back to the first to keep it spinning. Um, I say that companies 
um, so that they don't stall in their growth trajectory because I experienced this that match. When you rely on one channel for sales growth um, and it's and it's working, that's great. But at some point, all channels kind of you know plateau or, or or run into problems, and so you need to have multiple plates spinning. Back to the analogy, right? And so when I see startups that are focused, well, you know, TikTok's working, whatever it is, whatever the channel is working, um, and when they're only relying on one channel, then then I'm always concerned. So my my argument is, you need to test a bunch of different channels. You need to spin up different plates and know where things work and because it takes a while to figure out what works and what doesn't. So you have to start all those, right? In, in, and I say like, you know, the analogy of throwing a spaghetti against a wall, you have to throw a lot of spaghetti against the wall, see what sticks. And then, you know, now narrow your focus to two or three, but know that you can tap into those other levers. Because um, what I see a lot is that, you know, a lot of companies then will plateau because they're focused on one sales channel, whether it's B2B sales, a sales team, you know, if you don't have a multiple pronged, a multiple pronged approach to customer acquisition, you will stall. How the CFO can help that is to ask those questions, right? Um, you know, you, you want to let the marketing, customer acquisition and sales team do their jobs, but I haven't seen this across hundreds of companies. We can give them advice um, and make sure they're not relying on any one channel because by the time you can spin up a second or third channel, it's too late. You're going to have... Um, a plateau of your revenue, which is really bad in the when you're selling the story of growth, growth, growth to to raise that next round, right? You gotta you can have plateaus. It happens to all companies, but you have to be able to solve that that problem quickly and keep the growth trajectory. Yeah, you know, hockey sticks don't exist. I've never seen a company grow as as expected. It just doesn't happen because it's a real world. But you can be as prepared and testing. Um, all along the process so that when you need to pull what I say, pull a lever to get more you know, growth, um, you already know what levers you can and cannot pull. Absolutely. You mentioned real world, Frank, right? And today, the real world, the real markets are volatile, right? There is inflation, there is recession. I mean, even if it is a mild one, we expect to have it, right? So this is going to, ha you know, um, have a lot of businesses see, um, you know, slowed growth, which will, of course, affect their uh, affect their cash flow, right? So what, according to you, um, should be on top of their priority list to be better prepared for all the challenges that may come their way? I hear that, and I, and I agree that there's obviously the markets are all sending signals and indications that there's going to be a downturn. Um, but with startups and early stage startups, right, you know, the early stage investors are investing for two or three years down the road, which would be outside the window of any recession, typically, right? Um, my advice is, you know, we've, we kind of expect we've seen this in the last even 2007-8, right, the COVID, everyone thought COVID was gonna, like, we all want to brace and prepare for the worst. But you know, expect the best. I don't think there should be necessarily a huge um and with early product market fit i don't think there should be a lot of maybe re, you know, reduction in revenue for a lot of startups during this period um during COVID, a lot of our startups boomed and, and they weren't you know there was also a that wasn't expected right the boom everyone thought it was going to be a retraction of business and there was a boom instead and so people, you know, a lot of founders felt guilty because they were hearing all these other stories of companies that weren't doing well. 
um, and the ones that were doing well felt, you know, had some sort of guilt factor, but, and we all, all of our clients went through same thing we're doing right now. What does a reduction in budget look like? Right. And, and, and also the indications that are happening with the layoffs, a lot of the tech companies, other companies are starting to think, well, if Google and Twitter and all these others are starting to do it, then we should do it too. Right. It's almost kind of a reactionary thing. My advice is, especially for early stage startups, that the, the most costly expense is payroll. So only add team members as needed. And it was a, you can do a clear delineation of what their job responsibilities are. Um, and so that you're growing and adding headcount as needed versus, oh, you know, the biggest mistake we see all the time is, oh, I just raised $6 million. Let me go hire a hundred people, right? Like, you know, justify the growth and and add the positions to where they're actually adding or reducing what I like to say as a bottleneck. So if there's something that's slowing us down because we don't have staff or resources, or we could grow faster by adding more um, salespeople, then throw the money there, right? So um, to me, it's, you know, the recession's there, but it's almost like, don't make it become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't see a lot of our companies, even though we've done the belt tightening exercise, um, they're still hoping for the best, right? And how do we deliver and how do we continue to grow? And, you know, maybe we add headcount on a contractor basis or part-time basis instead of the full headcount, right? So I I always say, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, um, because what we're seeing is a lot of companies that have scaled back then don't have the staff when the growth continues, right? So you got to be you got to be smart on that. And so I, I would say, you know, do the exercises to know where you would need to cut expenses and where you should if revenue starts to dip. But don't don't take you know drastic actions um, without knowing what the in, true impact is going to be to your revenue. That as a treasurer or a bookkeeper or receivables manager. Uh, what are the steps that one should take to streamline CFO's processes, depending on the different kind of business growths they see? Correct. So I'm big on, uh, if you look at any of my presentations or, you know, that I've done for the the accelerators like 500 or Techstars, um, I'm big on putting an infrastructure that will scale with your business because nothing's worse than growing really fast. And then midstream during that growth period, you have to change systems right erp systems whatever it is um there's enough technology out there that you can work smarter not harder and we do that with our team but we like to add technology in um as needed not just because we're adding technology but to solve a problem so you know we're big on having systems that can scale to your next say your you know your 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 projections are out 3 years and at to 50 million then are these the systems what are the systems that would also get us to those to those markers right so that we're not um caught unprepared and so we like using technologies that are also flexible that can fit um process changes so like airtable um, is a great example of a of a of a tool that can be customized to fit the process and as a startup grows and changes, because um, processes change as you scale, you can you can customize the technology to uh, solve for that. 
So the things we like to use are, you know, cash flow management tools like bill.com and FP&A and modeling budget versus actual tools like a Finmark, right? We like these tools that allow our teams to analyze their, you know, their KPIs, their metrics, their dashboards and allow them to run the business because, as I say, it's like flying a plane. I like an accounting to, to pilot for some reason. Um, yeah, there's a lot of technology you can use, but you still need the manual intervention when they're subject to interpretation, you know, the FASBs, the ASCPA stuff. Um, but the more you can use technology like machine learning in QuickBooks, which we see, you know, there's great machine learning in QuickBooks, but 99% of the clients we see don't use machine learning until we show them, right? So there's tools and 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 technology that are already there that aren't being utilized. So we like to utilize the systems that exist to their fullest, right? And so that's becoming more educated in, you know, certified in, in Intuit and QuickBooks or Zero or, or NetSuite or whatever it is, so that we understand what the system's capabilities are and can do and so that they're scaling with you. Um, and 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 implementing those systems at the right time is important, right? Because if you have to pull out, you know, QuickBuzz and implement you know, NetSuite or an ERP, it's very, it could be very disruptive to the business. So timing it during um, you know, an inflection point, right? Um, you know, or transitioning over, you know, the beginning of the year and doing a dual track, right? So you're doing QuickBooks and NetSuite until you're ready to switch, right? Um, so there's a lot of technologies out there. It's just about spending the time. We spend a good 20% of our time meeting with new startups and new technologies and new service providers to see if there's a fit, right? You have to see what's out there um, and who's who's doing what and what's cutting edge and that can help you. So we do a lot of um, new product uh, testing and sampling and, and uh, demos um, on behalf of our clients, because if one client could use it and benefit from it, then we know that 150 clients can benefit and use and, and benefit from it. And, you know, you talked about how people upgrade from one ERP to the other, depending on what their requirements are. Um, and, you know, of course, digitization has become a mandate for CFO's office in 2022. And I, I think everything accelerated because of pandemic. Uh, but there is still a dilemma that exists, right? And which is whether they should or whether a CFO's office should accelerate growth uh, through digital initiatives or preserve and restore organizations' financial health by cutting costs. Uh, and, you know, with, you know, uncertainty in how a company is expected to grow, how should CFOs take the decision to accelerate investment in technology? Good question. Um, it's a very delicate balancing act right? Because without growth, you can't continue to, you know, raise more capital, grow the team, get to the next level. Um, but I definitely feel that that's what's, you know, back to your earlier question, that's what's changed in the marketplace. For the longest time, you know, Silicon Valley and, and other places really promoted growth, top line growth at, you know, don't worry about cost, don't worry about profitability. Uh, I definitely feel like those days are long gone um, and you're seeing that play out in examples of like Twitter and other companies that are still not um, profitable in public, right? The market's really starting to beat them up and, and say, okay, you've had a long time to get profitable. Um, we really like to implement good 
and what we call traditional accounting methodologies and you know really helping the the founders understand their gross margin because without a healthy gross margin you can't build a profitable company now you can discount you know when the early days you need to discount cuz you know the market doesn't know who you are they're taking a gamble on you and so but I, we like to price that out at the normal rate what we think we're going to charge down the road show the discount right so the market understands that we're we think we can get 5000 a month we're discounting it to 1000 because we need to grow and and get convinced people to take a chance on our SaaS product, our, our platform, whatever it is, right? Um, so from our perspective, you have to have the mechanics and the levers there built in so that you're going, you can be profitable. Trying to figure out how to get profitable later is a really, really slippery slope and it's hard to do it successfully. So we say build in, you know, target margins, you know, of 60% plus on gross margins, right? Um, so that you know, that you can have a profitable company as you scale and step up on the SGNA. To me, there's got to be a balance because if it's not accretive to the bottom line or ROI positive, then you shouldn't be spending the dollars, right? If 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 you're spending dollars in customer acquisition and sales, but the LTV or the you know the return on that spend takes three years to get there. You know, you're not going to have unlimited cash as a lot of the startups, you know, used to think, right? As long as you keep growing top line, we'll get more cash. That's changing, right? It's got to be street smart growth, profitable growth, right? You could choose to reinvest that profit into growth, but it has to be very clear in that that's what you're doing versus your margins are 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 razor thin or non-existent. Then that's then, then, you know, if, if venture or investment dollars are subsidizing every revenue dollar, then that's, that's a very bad position to be in and to try to change. So investing in technology and platforms, right? So that you're, you know, once you invested the capital in building the technology that you can resell, right? So in my match.com days, once the dating platform was there and we got all the partnerships driving traffic in, exponential growth and profitability because the cost to deliver the platform was already paid for and built, right? And so we just needed to get more traffic there. And that was our goal. Um, and and it had to be able to do it, meaning the system had to be able to handle this, the, the volume of traffic and scale. We see that a lot where, you know, they think they can handle it, then success happens and the site crashes or the or the app crashes or the service gets stuck. So to me, it's quality growth too, right? You can't grow at all expense because if the quality is not there, then you're hurting yourself on a branding perspective. The other thing that comes to my mind when we talk about growth and managing uh, you know, cash at hand better is the credit risk that comes with doing business with different vendors, right? So um, how in you know today's economic climate, how can CFOs uh, strike the right balance in handling credit risk and growth in the business? So there's a lot of things you can do in that front, right? And there's a lot of actually startups that are trying to solve that problem on credit risk, right? So the traditional, you know, DMB, um, Dun & Bradstreet and those kind of, you know, management tools to manage credit risk. But if you're also working with other startups, then they don't have the history. Although we really push all of our startups to start building up their own DMB um, history 
in making a conscious effort to build up a credit rating for themselves. Um, we do a couple of things. One, one, um, we really like to bill, and even in our own business, we auto ACH our our fees to our clients before the work is done, right? So that we're not chasing. We used to have to chase AR. We don't chase AR if the payment doesn't clear. The work's not done, so there's no AR, right? Um, it's very clear on that. I think, um, you know, over COVID and a lot of things, there was a lot of trends. I like to say net ninety is the new black, right? <laughs> It was net 15, net 30, net 45. A couple of things. We like to say, you know, change it in your terms and conditions to get paid up front or negotiate the rate. If you're dealing with a big company, say like Disney or someone where you don't have the bargaining power to, to negotiate the net terms, a lot of them have programs where if you discount, they'll pay it faster. Um, and the discount is well worth, you know, the cost of capital. So we really reach out and start asking if they have programs that can accelerate for a discount. And if they don't, we offer it a two. Um, the other is um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? We, if you're not chasing and asking about, we found if you're not, you know, sending follow-up invoices and statements and collection notices um, and reminders, it can be positive. Then, you know, then they don't think you need the money. And so they're going to pay other things first, we like to be proactive um, and it has it having an outsourced firm like ours, we can do the calling on the client and the customer. And so that there's not a negative um, uh, connotation with that where it's an outsized accounting firm. So they can keep a positive, you know, good cop, bad cop relationship, as I like to call it. Right. We can keep asking like, hey, um, this invoice is now net, you know, past 90 days past due. Um, there also has to be controls into not continuing to dig the hole deeper, right? Um, and we see a lot of startups don't have that. I think if a client goes past net 60, um, then you know no additional sales should happen until we're, we're current. Or again, depending on the client, right? Depending on their, if the, if the payment history there is like Disney, then you know you're going to collect it. There's other things you can do to help that, right? So we um, we don't like the factoring, the F word is bad factoring, um, but we do see a, there's a lot of um, businesses out there that are even strategically focused on specific industries to help pay, um, pay, take a discount, pay the invoices for, you know, if it's, if it's a set kind of customer, there's firms that'll pay you for that invoice and then wait to collect the difference, right? And so they make a, they make a, a margin on that they pay you less than what your receivable is. So there's a lot of tools we like to get it, set them up from the get-go, even and go as far as look at the terms and conditions and the agreements. Mm -hmm. um, and to make sure that the sales team, if something's changing and we're using their net terms that we clearly sign off and agree and it comes to finance. So we say if it's anything over net, you know, net 30, you know, let a, it needs a finance approval, right? So that we're aware of what's going on um, so that we can manage cash flow. But it is a big issue right now um, as going into this downturn or recession, people are starting to slow their payments, slow their, their um, cash burn. Um, and so we're seeing it become a, a, chain of, a chain effect, right? Where we're starting to see that, which means other companies are now paying slower, which means 
it's becoming um, a vicious cycle and it is starting to happen and we see it on a regular basis. So very good question. So then in your opinion, right, with all the economic volatility that exists today, uh, the million dollar questions, even if you're seeing a slow growth or declining growth at your organization, as a CFO, should you be investment in, investing in uh, CFO office automation? Well, I think you should always be investing in CFO automation. Um, the the challenge is you can be effective and have an effective accounting and, and FP&A and finance team um, very lean. You know, we've seen companies, you know, upwards of 100 million with a lean accounting and finance team because they're relying on technology. Again, um, you know, you still need, when I say you still need human beings to do the variance analysis automation, you know, whenever there's a subject to interpretation. So revenue recognition, right? Accruals, um, tax strategies, those are all still interpretation. Whenever there's uh, a gray area, then someone needs to make that call. Um, but I definitely feel that automating processes um, and not trying to change the process, right? If the process is, here's the process with sales, then we like to tag on without getting, because getting people to change behavior is really difficult. So we try to always utilize the, the processes that already exist and that the data is there. We so far as go into working with the engineering team saying the data is there. We don't need to recreate it. How do we get access to it? How do you provide us with ad hoc reporting or access to the database so that we can pull the data without having to recreate the wheel, right? And so, um, that's our approach. We become we partner with the technology and the engineering teams to build solutions that make sense, right? Mm -hmm. And so much as process flow map the process flow, right? Mm -hmm. So sales does an insertion order. It gets signed. Legal reviews it. Like we map that all out, and we also delineate where the copies are going to go, what the backup of that system is. So we really heavily get into ops, right? In the end of the day, we're looking at process flow and ops, not so much as to try to influence the business's ops, but to understand the flow of data for our benefit. Great, perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your opinion today on CFO Circle. Really, really appreciate you taking the time. And I, I hope that our listeners uh, did get to learn a thing or two from you. And I'm sure it's probably more than that. So uh, all our listeners out there, thank you so much for taking time as well. And thank you, Frank, once again, for taking time and having this really important conversation with me today.